0: This is Dorell Alia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 129. to the right place mr hollywood himself presents the before the millions podcast and now your host DeRay what it do btm tribe we're back for another episode another installment of the before the millions podcast on today's episode we are speaking with mr anton ivanov Anton is a real estate investor with over 40 units. And before I get to Anton's story and what we're going to speak about today, I was just thinking this morning, I was just like, man, like I've put in a really, really hard past couple of days and I'm teetering on the 17, 18 hour work days right now. And I remember back when I was in corporate America, back when I had a full time job, back when I wasn't a full time entrepreneur, I remember. I still remember, and it wasn't that long ago, so of course I remember, but I still remember that I used to do four or five 6 a.m. podcast calls. And those 6 a.m. podcast calls would really be pushing it because if they lasted 45 minutes, I had to rush to get ready for work. I was in such an uncomfortable position. I was going from Airbnb to Airbnb. I was staying on friends' couches. I was in the most uncomfortable situation. And I just remember putting in the work every single morning to produce a quality podcast so that I could eventually create this educational platform. I remember when I got off of work, putting in the work to find more deals, to find more property. That was my schedule. Before work, I would focus on the educational platform. And after work, I would focus on appointments with realtors that I had lined up for the day, walkthroughs, inspections, uh, coffees. I mean, I so basically probably from like six thirty to maybe about eight thirty-nine, I would focus on those things. I would get home and I would start analyzing deals. I would get home and I would, I would respond to all the emails. I would send off emails. I'd go back and edit that those podcast episodes from that morning. I would start to build a platform. I did all that up until 1, 2, 3 a.m. sometimes, similar to how when I was working for a big four accounting firm. So my schedule never changed. But now a lot of that time was focused on me and my business and what I was growing. And I did that day in and day out. And I would get close to 18, maybe even 19 hour days. I would get no sleep. I wouldn't work out for weeks on end. And all that while, I was fully consumed in a time-intensive relationship. But I was determined, guys. I was determined to escape the rat race, to leave my W-2 day job. Today's guest, Anton, he's set to do that here shortly. He's just built up his passive income to $12,000 a month, and he's getting ready to leave his day job. And this is through his investment income and also through his business income, because he has an app called the Deal Check app. And that app caters to now over 100,000 users. So similar to me, as I was exiting my W2Day job, he has two different platforms. He has a platform to grow his investment portfolio, and he has a platform to help other people analyze deals to provide a service for people. So we're going to dive into both aspects of his entrepreneurial journey. But what's really interesting about how he built up his investment portfolio is that he actually went the traditional route. I'm used to getting guests on with a ton of creating, financing techniques similar to me. Now, ultimately, Anton went the traditional route. And I don't hear about a whole lot of people who go the traditional route, although it's called the traditional route. But he believes that many people look into creative financing, look into some creative strategies way too early and way too often. He believes that you should go the traditional route if you can. So that brings me to my next question. Well, can you? Right. Do you have the credit score? Do you have the debt to income ratio? Are you going to be able to hustle to find the right lender for you. If 50 lenders say no, that they can't do something, are you going to keep going to find that 51st lender? There are certain things that need to be in place for you to pursue a strategy that is quote unquote traditional. So for the past few years, I've had a ton of people ask me, Duray, how do I get started in real estate? And I'm so happy that I finally have a resource to help any and everybody get started. And it's actually a guide to help you get started. It's an assessment. I can't wait to talk about it. It's actually the crux of next week's episode. So definitely tune in. But this assessment is going to have you jot down a few key things about your life. And it's going to have you think about a few key things about your future. And then it's going to match you up with the perfect real estate vehicle for you to move forward with and the perfect real estate strategy. Do not miss next week's episode. So again, Anton went the traditional route. And if you can go the traditional route, if that's in your wheelhouse with the resources that you have, the time and the capital, then this episode is definitely for you. If you want to work with banks, if you're able to work with banks, right? I know a lot of people who maybe they don't have the credit score, who maybe don't have the debt to income ratio, and everybody has their own nuance. I know people who hate working with investors. They'd rather work with banks. I know people who hate working with investors and banks. They'd rather work with sellers, right? But the key here is to learn about these strategies on my podcast and on other podcasts and figure out what works for you. Now, again, the way we've been going about figuring out what works for us is a way that I necessarily don't believe in and I don't accept. That's why I'm coming out with my assessment next week. So that if you're meant to be a multifamily syndicator, your assessment will reveal that. If you're meant to be a fixer and flipper, your assessment will reveal that. If you're meant to buy single family homes, your assessment will reveal that. But what I like about Anton's story is he didn't just stop at investment. He thought about how he could add value to the marketplace. He thought about what the marketplace was missing as he was buying up his investments. Similar to me, I thought about what I could provide to the marketplace. How could I create a platform to help other people do what it is that they want to do? Way back when I created an educational platform. Anton created an app. His app is called DealCheck. And we're going to talk a lot about his app and why he built this app and what this app really does and how it's going to help your real estate system become a more robust system. Anton and his wife are literally gearing up to leave their W2 day job because of their two businesses. And we're going to get into all of that here in the next few minutes. DeRay's tip of the week. So one of our major themes going into the holiday season, um, and when I say our, not only my business and my platform, but my clients and my mastermind members, uh, especially my mastermind members. So if you guys uh, cater to clients, buyers, sellers, investors, you want to look at Q4 as your most profitable quarter, not the quarter where you slack and business takes a decline. Now, what we want to do in this quarter is stay top of mind to our potential customers, to our potential clients, to to potential sellers. And one of the ways that we do this is through gratitude and appreciation. So if you've done business with somebody in the past year or on the flip side of that, if you've done business with somebody and you haven't communicated with them in the past year. Now may be a good time to just pop in and say hello, but even better, just drop a random gift off or mail a random gift off. Let them know that you're thinking about them, that you care. So, you guys know that I'm big into automation and I'm big into saving a ton of time and being efficient. So, if I could find a way to be thoughtful, to be creative, and not to have to put in a whole lot of man hours, then I'm gonna find a way to do so. So, I have a few apps or a few websites to recommend for you guys on today's tip of the week. Now, in the past, and I still do this actually to this day, I order stuff, whether it's on Amazon or I go pick something up from a store, then I go to Hallmark. Or I go to another store and I get a card then I get home and I write out what I want to say. Then I got to go to FedEx and I ship off the gift and I ship off the card together. Then I get home with my tracking number. I input it into FedEx and I upload it so that I can be notified when the package is delivered. So there's a whole lot that goes into gift giving. There's a whole lot of time. There's a whole lot of effort that's involved. And I have some clients that I work with that have probably received around seven or eight books from me at this point. Now, this doesn't happen with everybody, but if I know a client is struggling in a specific area or I know somebody can use a pick me up, then it's something that I'm urged to do. But again, being thoughtful can be very time intensive. So if you're wanting to end the quarter with a bank and you're wanting to stay on top of mind to your existing network, to your potential sellers, to your potential buyers, to your potential clients, to your potential investors, to potential partnerships. Heck, even for family, especially for family, right? To those relationships that you want to strengthen, you don't have to wait until Christmas. You can show them that you care now. And it's actually going to mean that much more because you thought about them. It's a random gift, not a holiday gift. So there's an app called handwritten.com. Well, I guess that would be a website, but there's also an app version. It's called handwritten, written spelled W R Y T T E N, And this app allows you to write handwritten cards with a machine. So it's seamless and simple. And I'm just gearing up to send out a few as we speak. But they have a ton of options. And there's there's this handwritten machine that uses an actual pen to write out your message. And the results, once you see it, like if you guys go to the site, the results are virtually indistinguishable from an actual handwritten card. So the machine writes the card, you create your custom design, and you could even attach gift cards from your favorite brands to the handwritten card. If there's a lot of people that you want to send this to, you can do an easy bulk import, guys. It's all seamless. It's over at handwritten.com. I am not an affiliate. I'm not a sponsor. I just love good apps and I love efficiency. Now, there was actually another company for this service that I was going to recommend, and they actually wrote the cards by hand by a human. Um, But that company, I recently found out, went out of business, and I can probably understand why. But anyways, handwritten.com. It makes your cards that much more personable. Okay, cool. So those are for cards and gift cards. But what about actual gifts, right? What about like if you wanted to send out a personal gift to somebody, but you didn't want to go through the trouble that I go through to where I ship something to me, pay for shipping, and then figure out how to go get a card. And then also figure out once I get the card, how to get to FedEx and get all this stuff done in a hectic workday. Well, there's another app. It's called Giftagram, G-I-F-T-A-G-R-A-M, Giftagram. And this app allows you to send custom gifts. So for instance, I want to send a wine gift box to one of my clients. Instead of it just being any generic old wine gift box that I find or an amazing wine gift box that I find, I'm, I'm given the ability to customize this gift box, to choose my glasses, to choose the exact wine bottle that I want. I could even engrave it. Now, I've received some amazing gifts in the past, and I will say by far, some of my most amazing gifts have been gifts that came with engravings on them. So you're able to gift give and make it as personable as possible, and you don't have to ever touch the physical product. Guys, it's holiday season. Now is not the time to slack. Now is the time to put 10 times the effort in your business while everybody else is falling asleep at the wheel you could be dominating this quarter. And a lot of that starts with staying top of mind and building key and valuable relationships. P.S. If you have any recommendations for a book service that does a similar thing, then email me. I'm all ears. So there's your tip of the week for this week. Now let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. Anton, how's it going today? It's going great. It's, it's good to be here. Yeah, man, I'm super excited. Anton, how do you, how do you say your last name?
1: It's, uh, Ivanov. it's Ivanov. Ivanov. It's Did you grow up in Russia? I grew up there, Yeah, actually. I, uh, I was born there, born in Moscow. I uh, grew up there uh, until I was 14, 15, so like high school age, and then my family uh, moved to San Diego, California.
0: Nice. What was, what was that transition like for you? Do you remember?
1: Uh, it was not good. I, I do remember that. It was kind of, you know, I, I was pretty popular, uh, in in my school in Russia had a lot of friends you know just liked everything about it um then we came here um I had no friends barely spoke english uh so it was tough uh, <laughs> i you know I think it was a good thing overall i'm I'm definitely happy for my family for for moving us here and providing the opportunities that America offers but man like as a fourteen fifteen year old kid it's it was not it was not good.
0: I, I, and trust me, I can imagine that's a, that's a major, major lifestyle transition for you. So, I mean, what, what was life in San Diego when you did move?
1: Like, what was what what, were, what was high school like, and what did you what you what you do after high school? Um, it's you know, I'd say high school for me was fairly average. Um, I guess it's it's we kind of lived in the suburbs. Uh, I, I was very shy uh, when I moved here, so I was a little socially awkward. Uh, but I made it. You know, I I studied. I had. Pretty good grades. I'm very grateful for everything my family kind of provided us. Um, and then, and you know, after high school, no, I'd say they're they were very hardworking, but kind of more, you know, straightforward. Just just get a good education, get a job. Uh, so they had good careers. Um, uh, you know, is they that is that, is
0: that the so so real quick, Anton? Is that the track yeah. that you believe you were going down? Did you did you believe that you you were Going to follow their advice, you were going to get a good job. Was that kind of what you always had planned, or you would hear those things and you had a different plan? Like, what was your mindset at the time?
1: You know, I'd say that is very standard advice that you hear. Um, and kind of looking at my parents, I wouldn't say that at that age and kind of in high school, um, I really had any entrepreneurial drive in me, to be honest. Um, I did kind of envision myself that, you know, I'm going to graduate, uh, go to college, hopefully, then get a job. Um, It wasn't until, you know, sometime later that I actually started looking at my financial situation and, you know, retirement and when I wanted to retire that I started realizing that uh, maybe getting a job. And doing this more traditionally is not the right path for me. But back in high school, I, I don't think that's when it, it really started for me. Do you,
0: do you remember a particular instance or a particular situation or scenario or story? Or did you see something? Were you at work? Was, this, was it something with your parents Were you just like, yeah, no, this plan doesn't make any sense.
1: No, I, I remember exactly. I was so after high school, um, I actually, uh, you know, I didn't end up going to college. I joined the U.S. Navy, believe it or not, full time. So I enlisted in the military, uh, joined the Navy, and, and they sent me to Japan uh, on on a ship out there, on a warship. Um, and, you know, it was, it was kind of, it, it seemed like a good choice at the time. I have no regrets about it. It's probably not the most traditional path that, that people follow, but I felt like it would kind of give me the discipline, some direction that I was lacking in life. Uh, but kind of coming back to what you said, uh, after being in the Navy for a couple of years, that's when I actually started realizing that I don't want to work for 40, you know, 30, 40 years. Uh, and, and mainly that came around, you know, in the military, there's a lot of career military folks out there. So people who've been in for 10, 15, 20 years, uh, they kind of you know, stay in for at least 20 and then retire. And I had nothing against them, you know, they were great people. Uh, But that was kind of my wake up call, so to speak, I guess you can say, Um, I was just looking at their lives. And and I looked at my life. And I thought to myself, do I really want to, you know, spend the next 30 years or, or 20 years just just working away for, What wasn't a very great retirement check, you know, you you can retire from the military and a lot of people do it successfully, you'll get your medical benefits, you'll get some retirement money, but it's not like, you know, you're going to be a a millionaire. It's not like you're going to be living a nice lifestyle, most likely, and um, I really looked at my life uh, and that was kind of the beginning of when I started to make a decision like, hey, this is not, this is not what I want to do. Uh, this this twenty thirty year of working, and hopefully you'll have a retirement coming in. is is just not for me. So
0: so walk me up until your 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 first your first property. Walk me up until walk me right. through maybe some of the things that you tried that maybe failed, or walk me through some of the things that you considered doing. And I know your first property wasn't wasn't something that you sought out for, right? Exactly. So walk, me, walk me through. I know, like you had this aha moment, but. At the same time your first property wasn't a property that you went to go that you went to go seek No. So, so between that aha moment and that first property what were some of the things that were transpiring what were some of the things that you were planning or some of the things that you were doing
1: yeah so after i kind of started realizing that hey i need to do something different uh, you know the navy's paying my bills but um i really want to accelerate my retirement and and kind of take it more into my control so to speak um, I spent the next probably uh, year and a half, two years reading a lot of personal finance books uh, and not necessarily books on entrepreneurship. Um, I, I still back then wasn't, you know, kind of looking at myself as, as a business owner, uh, but I did get into investing. So I, uh, you know, I, I started having a budget. I started saving a lot of money, almost all of my uh, salary back then, because basically the housing and all my expenses were paid. So I really focused on kind of those personal finance basics, like having an emergency fund, uh, having savings, having a budget. And then I started my 401k, my my IRA, started putting a lot of money aside and just equities um, at that point. Uh, you know, and, and I think that really helped me in the long term by kind of establishing a really good personal finance foundation and investing foundation, not necessarily with real estate, but just investing in general, um, and kind of set me on the right path. Because I think, you know, a lot of folks uh, that I meet that are new, they're, they're trying to get into real estate, or they're trying to even get into entrepreneurship. One thing I always noticed is that some of them, they, they lack a good kind of financial foundation, so to speak. And, and I just think not having that makes both real estate, running a business much more difficult, because they're financially risky endeavors. Uh, you know, you might have expenses. You you might lose money, um, and kind of if you don't have a good financial foundation to support you um, in what you're doing and kind of to fall back on, um, it you know it's not setting yourself up for failure, but it's definitely not like setting yourself up for success, in my opinion. So, I really focused on that on investing, budgeting, saving, um, and you know, kind of going into what happened with my first rental property. Uh, basically when I was still in the Navy about eight years ago, both of my parents passed away. Unfortunately, uh, they were young. It was, you know, due to some medical issues. Um, but they owned a, uh, a condo in San Diego where, where they lived. Um, and that basically became my first rental property just out of the blue, to be honest. Um, I, I wasn't planning, you know, on, on them passing away, obviously. Um, and I wasn't even looking to invest in real estate at the time. Again, I was kind of focused more on equities, and I was stationed in Japan, so it's like, you know, here I have this condo in San Diego. I don't know anything about buying real estate, managing real estate. Like, what am I doing here? Um, I talked to a few, you know, I almost sold it, actually. So what, what, when kind of all that was going on, uh, you know, I had a local lawyer here in San Diego who was helping with the inheritance and all of that. And, and, I, and I was like this close to just saying, you know what, let's just sell this property, get whatever money I could, because I, I don't know if I can deal with it. And I don't know if it was a single event or a person that I talked to. I think probably a combination that just said, "Hey, you know what? Why don't you just not make any drastic decisions and just keep that property? Um, You know, find a property manager, get it rented. You know, have them manage the property remotely for you, and and then just see where it goes. Maybe you come back to the states after your tour in Japan, and um, and that is what I did. So that's basically how I became." I like to say an accidental landlord on, under some unfortunate circumstances, but that was my first foray into real estate, I guess.
0: Yeah. And I I, I am sorry for your loss. And it, it it's one of those, it's one of those situations where, you know, on the, on what, what your investor had on and, you know, hindsight is 2020 and you learning all the things that you've learned over the years and you like reflecting back on that moment and knowing exactly the type of state that you were in just just to just to give some strategies to the listeners for, for a minute and not to be insensitive, but again it's a learning moment for a lot of people because right. people specifically target probate lists people specifically target exactly um you know uh, 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 vacant houses people people specifically target out of state owners right because there are a lot of these situations that like you you, yep. you said it yourself you use the words i just didn't want to deal with it
1: exactly i mean you're already dealing with you know, obviously the the deaths in your family, all the other financial stuff that comes around it. And if if you never owned real estate before, it can be overwhelming. I I know that firsthand. Um, And, you know, for some folks, it it may make sense to sell um, and kind of not deal with the property. I guess I just chose, you know, and looking back, I think it was the right choice. Um, I think maybe if I didn't keep that property and just sold it, who knows if I would have even went uh, you know, to this real estate route and, and everything that followed. Because, you know, kind of looking back, I actually still have that property and it's it's in Southern California. It's not a great cash flowing property. You know, this isn't like a very high cash flowing market. But over the years, what that did is kind of open my eyes to what real estate can do for you in terms of passive income, uh, wealth generation, kind of early retirement. So I like to look at that, you know, property that I had and, and the fact that I kept it is what really pushed me into real estate and and really kind of opened my eyes to that being a very viable uh, investment vehicle in addition to equities that i had at the time
0: yeah for sure for sure so what was the next fourier for you anton because this was this was roughly about eight years ago when right. did you, when did you take a serious liking to real estate and what did you decide to do in the space
1: yeah so I um you know again i, I kept that property I still had quite a few years left on my Navy contract um, in Japan. And, and honestly, that was it for me for real estate for, for a while. So I was still kind of serving my time out in Japan. I had this property, it was trickling in income. Um, I didn't seriously do anything else with real estate until about 2013. And that was when I actually got out, uh, You know, finished my six years uh, in the Navy, moved back to San Diego with my wife. Um, and we kind of settled settled down here in a more uh, traditional career. You know, we, we got normal jobs. Um, and, uh, you know, at that point, I was fairly sold on the whole idea of, hey, I, I don't want to work for 20 years. I want to retire early. And to do that, um, I needed to build a passive income stream, or at least, you know, an income stream that was not tied to like a nine to five job. So Uh, I had my equity portfolio going, which was growing slowly, but you know, the returns on that are not like astronomical or or not, you know, nothing that will kind of make you multimillionaire in in just a few years. Um, But I had this property, I had this, I had this condo that was generating consistent passive income, it was gener, it was appreciating in value. Um, and I was like, Hey, you know what, why don't we give this real estate a kind of a a bigger try? I talked to my wife about it. She was on board. Um, and that's when we kind of started building our portfolio more aggressively. The, uh, very soon after we moved back to San Diego, uh, we bought a duplex, uh, here with, with the VA, with the low down payment loan that we did the whole house hacking thing with. So we moved into one of the units which allowed us to use the owner financing terms, you know, which are much better than kind of investor financing. Um, we fixed up, you know, both of the units, and then eventually we moved out and rented them out, and that became our first property. Um, and from then, we really just kept going and going for the last four years, uh, building our portfolio all the way to the forty units that we have now. So after the duplex, um, here we started looking out of state. Uh, because the returns in California, like I mentioned, are pretty subpar, uh, cash flow is, is fairly low, um, and the properties are so expensive. Uh, you know, and, and one thing that uh, me and my wife did is we didn't really have any partners. Uh, we didn't have any kind of a lot of contacts in the real estate industry. We also didn't have like buttloads of money, Right. Uh, we, we were very frugal, well, we had good jobs and we saved a lot of money, but it was still like not enough for us to scale in California, we felt. So that's what pushed us to look at out of state, uh, and, uh, kind of in 2014, 15, we bought four turnkey properties in Atlanta and Birmingham. So if you're not familiar with turnkey properties, it's where, in basically a company takes a, you know, rundown unit, uh, rehabs it, uh, you know, brings it to a nice condition, puts a tenant and then sells it to the investor. Uh, They get a lot of kind of bad rap, um, you know, because there are a lot of kind of dishonest, uh, shady turnkey providers. So you can get a pretty crappy deal, uh, to be honest, if you're not careful. Uh, But I feel like if you look in the market, you research that, you research the neighborhood, you tour the property, you make sure everything's okay with the rehab. It's a good way to get started out of state. Uh, when you don't have a lot of connections or or time, you know, if you're a full-time, uh, you know, if you have a full-time job or, or, or business that you run. So we went to turnkeys. We still have them. I, I have no regrets in buying them. They're doing great, especially now since the rents went up, the the property values went up, you know, and we're really starting to see the cash flow uh, trickle so, in from those.
0: So Anton, real quick, without a whole lot of capital, without any, any right. money partners, uh, without creative financing, walk me through how you're taking down these deals.
1: So to be honest, up to uh, this point that I just described, uh, all of the uh, you know money that we had for the down payment. So we, we, we use conventional financing on all these deals. So these were uh, 20% down uh, mortgages. So we have to come up with the 20%. So, so real quick, let me, cost. let me, let me,
0: let me, let me create the timeline real quick, Anton, for everybody who's out there. So you, you have the the first, you have your first condo, which was right. inherited from your parents. And then you use, um, you use, uh, I guess you called it owner financing, but you're using owner occupant financing, right. To where you're able to put down a much lower down payment. I think you said you bought a duplex, right? So yeah. and then immediately after that, you're straight conventional all the way through.
1: Uh, for, for, yeah, for the turnkey, yeah. So for the duplex, we did use a VA loan. Uh, it's a great program, uh, an owner occupied financing program that's available for military members, uh, or veterans. Um, and then there's an FHA loan, which is very similar, but that's available to kind of all, uh, you know, all, all people, even if they didn't serve in the military. So those strategies are perfect for something like house hacking, right? It's a common term, if, if you can find a two to four unit property, so a residential multifamily, you don't have a lot of money to put down, you can move into one of the units, which will allow you to use these owner occupied uh, financing strategies, put down a low down payment, and then you don't have to come up with a lot of money out of pocket. Um, so we did that on our first uh, duplex because we were straight out of the military. We didn't have a lot of savings. And like I mentioned, the prices here in Southern California are so expensive that there's no way we're going to come up with like a 20% down payment. Gotcha. Um, but after then, that, you
0: start you start saving money with your wife and you guys are consistently coming up with those 20% down payments.
1: Yeah. So for the next four properties, uh, we looked again in Atlanta and Birmingham uh, where the prices were much lower. In, in Birmingham, we were buying properties for around 50000 a unit, you know, a property. And then in Atlanta, it was a little high, like like uh, 80000 so there were cheaper properties, much cheaper than we could find in San Diego, um, and the twenty percent that we needed to buy those we could come up with out of our basically savings um, and that's kind of me coming back to that whole personal finance foundation that I mentioned. Uh, you know throughout this whole time we we, we got regular jobs after the military uh, you know we kind of you know focused on growing our careers, so we, we did good at work, we got raises. Uh, We had a very frugal lifestyle. I think I went, I looked back and we had something like a 60% savings rate consistently all through these years. Um, And that's what really drove our portfolio growth uh, in these beginning stages. It was, you know, taking our take home money that we uh, we were saving, plus all the cash flow from the rental properties. You know, we didn't go buy nice cars. We didn't go upgrade our house. You know, we didn't do any of those things. We saved a lot of money. And that's what really allowed us to grow, uh, you know, and buy those first, you know, five six units. We're just using our own funds. I think a lot of people, frankly, underestimate, you know, that, uh, you know, that avenue, uh, you know, pretty much all of us have jobs. A lot of us have, have good incomes, you know, and uh, I bet there's some money you can save, you know, tighten up your budget a little bit uh, that will help you save for these down payments a lot faster. It's just, I feel like a lot of people don't even think of that. They they immediately start looking at creative strategies or 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 looking at partners, while you know they could be an opportunity to just start saving money out of your income uh, from day one, basically.
0: I love that. I love I love how you're able to take a totally polar approach from a lot of people. So so the fact that you have that approach, I'm sure there are so so many people that resonate with that. So my next question is. From a lending point of view, when or if it did start to become difficult, when did it start to become difficult? Did, do you still do you have you used the same lender all this time? Have you used a, a? Do you have a wide array of lenders? How do you go about tackling that process?
1: Um, so with the conventional loans, uh, up, you know, buying the duplex and then buying uh, these turnkey properties, uh, we actually used a few different lenders. I found that with the conventional lending, so these are your. You know, Freddie Fannie Mae mortgages, the 30 year fixed, uh, they're pretty much almost any bank will offer them. Um, So, in uh, I actually had a mortgage broker that I worked with, and I kind of prefer that these are people who have instead of kind of going to one bank, filling out their application, and seeing what they say, uh, you could go to a mortgage broker, give them all of your financial information, you know, fill in a questionnaire. They can send this to many, many different banks. And just find you the best rate because it's such like a commodity product. It's not very difficult to get a conventional loan, even on an investment property. So I always, you know, encourage people either to find a mortgage broker, they can shop around, find you the best rate, um, or even check with the banks or credit unions, uh, especially that you have an existing relationship with. You know, if you have a credit union account, ask them if they do non-on occupied uh, loans. So loans on investment properties. Uh, probably more than half of them will do that. And they probably will give you a better rate because you're an existing client. So um, I think conventional financing, you know, up until kind of your debt to income ratio supports it. And and if you're less than that, you know, there is like a limit. Uh, after a while, and we ran into this a little later in our real estate journey, after a while, it's it's much harder to get conventional loans. Once you get about five and especially closer to ten loans total uh, banks will start shutting you down um, and and on top of that you know they kind of look at your personal debt to income ratio so depending on how much other loan payments you have like car payments how much your income is if you're approaching around 45 50 percent debt to income ratio you're gonna have a hard time qualifying for these conventional loans but as long as you stay within that I I don't. I never found it too difficult to to find conventional lenders.
0: I love that. I love that. So, so at the point where you're crossing that threshold of five or ten, depending on where it is for you specifically, individually, uh, all of you out there. Um, but for you, Anton, once you once you get to that threshold, what are your options?
1: So, uh, that's kind of you know the world is your oyster in terms of creating financing. After that, um, I think the most two common options that I've seen are portfolio loans and commercial loans. So both of them are kind of non-standard mortgages, uh, portfolio lenders. They're private institutions, you know, that they have their own capital to lend. Um, They can often lend on, uh, you know, on single properties or even groups of properties. They can also give you a 30-year fixed loan. But for example, they can take, you know, five conventional loans, group them under a single portfolio loan with a 30-year, you know, kind of fully amortized schedule and then free up those conventional loans for you to use somewhere else. Um, So that's one great option. I did explore it. I didn't find a portfolio lender that I liked that had, you know, because they are much harder to find. Um, What we end up doing with my wife. uh, So after kind of the turnkey properties, uh, in Atlanta and Birmingham, we still wanted to grow our portfolio, and we started looking at multifamily properties uh, just because we felt like they were easier to scale. Uh, you know, Instead of buying one house at a time, we could buy a fourplex, and, and that's four units. Um, and once we started looking at them, um, I kind of established a relationship with a really good commercial broker that offered commercial financing. Uh, commercial financing is usually very different terms. They're typically shorter loans, like five or 10 years. They could be amortized for 25 or 30, but the loan payment is going to be due after the five or 10 years. That's what's called the balloon payment. Um, uh, but, uh, what I really liked about them is commercial lenders don't care about your personal debt to income ratio, uh, y- y- your personal loan payments, uh, not, none of that. They actually look just at the property, uh If the property cash flows, if it meets their underwriting criteria, then they will loan on it um, and that 's the route that we went we We transitioned to buy multifamily properties, specifically fourplexes in uh kansas City missouri um and you know we kind of our scale was going up, so we also put them under an l l c which means we for sure can get a conventional loan on them um, commercial lenders have no problem lending to an l l c so we started using commercial financing, lending to an LLC, kind of distancing ourselves from the properties for liability protection. Um, and that's actually what we've been using uh, for the last couple of years on, on about 33 multifamily units that we bought in, in Kansas City.
0: All of these commercial loans are all multifamily. So, my because my next question was, how Correct. small can these commercial loans get? And again, we know like once you meet the threshold of five or ten, depending on your situation, you should start looking at some of these other financing techniques. But can somebody say, well, I don't want them to consider my personal credit at all? Can I go ahead and just start out doing commercial loans? Can I do it on a single family home? How what's the what's the threshold to start looking at commercial loans?
1: Um, I personally, I personally almost always recommend, uh, you know, people take advantage of conventional financing to the max. Um, and the reason for that is because, yes, it you know it goes on your personal name, uh, but the terms, so the interest rates and the amortization periods will always be better with conventional financing. It's just much cheaper financing. You're not going to find, you know, a commercial loan with a three some interest rate that you can get a, a conventional loan for nowadays. It's, it's not going to have the interest rates are going to be, you know, one, 2% higher yeah. just, just from the start. So I, you know, personally, and, and for kind of other folks who reach out to me, I recommend using conventional financing to the max, which means let the lender tell you that they can't loan you anymore. Um, and j- just because it's cheaper uh, now co- commercial financing If you really want to go there, if you're forced to go there, uh, generally it's reserved for uh, five plus unit properties uh, or kind of packages of properties. It is a lot more flexible, so it depends on the lender. For example, I was able to find a lender who does lend on two to four unit properties, uh, you know, and and that's how we bought a bunch of fourplexes with these commercial financing. Not every lender will do that. And some of them will, for example, have minimum uh, loan amounts, you know, like maybe it's $500,000. So they won't loan anything uh, lower than that. I have seen and I have met investors who use commercial financing on single family, but it's usually packages. So maybe they have, you know, a 10 property package that they're buying, uh, 10 single family homes, and they'll get one commercial loan kind of on the whole package, Uh, for the LLC that, that maybe owns the properties. Uh, But again, kind of in my experience, commercial financing um, is, is much more flexible. You really have to just find a lender, uh, go directly to their loan officer, their, their underwriting department, um, and talk to them about your situation, you know, show them what you're trying to do, uh, what you're trying to buy, uh, and that they can help you find a solution maybe that you haven't even thought of. Like I said, maybe they can take your existing, uh, conventional mortgages, package them together under one commercial loan, um, or help you buy, you know, multifamily, whether commercial or residential with, with a loan or, uh, you know, kind of a combination of strategies. So it's, it's a lot more flexible, but it is more expensive in terms of, uh, you know, basically rates, you're going to pay a higher rate. Um, you're going to have a shorter term. Uh, it's it's not as good as conventional financing. So, if you're just starting out buying single-family homes, especially, um, I would you know probably say that conventional is the way to go.
0: I want to highlight a fifty thousand dollars deal that you do on average. What are you looking at? What are you what are you expecting from that type of deal? Like, let's just say you buy a property that's worth fifty thousand dollars. What do you, what are you hoping to get out of that out of that deal in the short term? And what are you hoping to get out of that deal in the long term?
1: Um so i personally um i'd say my my number one goal with with the real estate since the beginning was cash flow. Um, I was most interested in real estate as kind of a passive income uh generating uh, investment uh, so and and obviously for for that, I need the cash flow. I frankly have not sold a single property that I bought yet um, and I'm not planning to the next few years because I'm more interested in just acquiring more units and, and building the cash flow. So for me, the, uh, you know, the primary metrics that I look at when I'm buying an investment property are cash flow per unit per month, uh, cash on cash return, uh, you know, which kind of to me signifies uh, you know, how good of a deal am I getting? Because obviously for every dollar in cash flow, I want to pay the least amount of my own money out of pocket. Um, and a higher, you know, the higher cash on cash return is, the better you're doing in that regard. Um, so those are the two primary metrics for me. Now, with that being said, uh, you know, there's a lot of kind of so-called high cash flow in markets in America uh, where you can buy a property for less than fifty thousand, uh, and the cash flow looks tremendous on on paper. Uh, the problem with a lot of these markets that I've seen is that they're not doing good uh, from like a macroeconomic perspective, meaning the economy in the city and the state that they're in is maybe declining. The population is stagnant or declining. You know, jobs are, are, are declining or, or just being stagnant. I personally do not like those markets for the reason that I think that to be successful as a buy and hold investor, even if you're investing for cash flow in the long term, you want to see Both value and rent growth in your units. Meaning, like if I buy a property, you know, today and it's renting for a thousand a month, I want to see that, you know, being fifteen hundred in the next five years or or whatever. I don't want to see rent being the same because your expenses are going to continue to rise. You know, property taxes are probably going to continue to rise. You know, and inflation is is a real thing. So the thousand dollars today is not the same as a thousand dollars five years from now. So I've kind of, based on the research that I've done, what I've personally seen, what I've talked to a lot of uh, investors who are many times more successful than I is, uh, you know, you want to buy rental properties in markets that you'll see appreciation in the price and you'll see the rent growth. Um, And usually it's the macroeconomic factors in those cities like population, uh, economic, uh, and job growth that will drive that. You know, if people are moving into the city, Because of available jobs, they will need places to rent. They will naturally increase the the rent amounts. Uh, So I focus a lot on those areas. Uh, You know, when I'm first going into the market, I I look at its macroeconomic factors, its economy, uh, its kind of population statistics, and I'm only going to invest in those markets, you know, still buy cash flowing properties, but, uh, you know, but I'm willing to, I guess, sacrifice a little bit immediate cash flow. But buying a market that I know will appreciate in value and uh, you know rent over time
0: I love that I love that so so with that fifty thousand dollar example, what type of cash on cash return are you looking for?
1: My minimum cash on cash is usually twelve to fifteen percent uh, if uh, you know most of my deals I can get fifteen or above if it's twelve percent or less i'm I'm probably not going to consider it.
0: Got you. Okay. So, so to this day, Anton, do you still have, you and your wife still have your full-time day job? Uh,
1: We are actually, you know, in the process of transitioning to being uh, full-time entrepreneurs.
0: That is awesome. That is awesome. I love that. And that is what we love to talk about on the show. So, so the goal back then, because I was going to ask you about the goal, but now it's super clear. The goal has always been cash flow because your yes. immediate goal is to leave your W two day job, become full time entrepreneurs, and do this on a. I mean, I mean again, when, when you have the cash flow, you have the flexibility, you have the freedom. Absolutely. I wanna I wanna talk about because your natural progression from the military to real estate. Um, it it, again, it's, it's natural because of what you saw in the military, right? What the, the experiences you saw of people who were 20 years ahead of you, right? You started, you started thinking about things that you should start planning for. You started thinking about where you could be in 20 years and where you didn't want to be. So I understand that progression. Where does tech come in the picture?
1: It, um, right. So it, it was a very, very kind of interesting situation. So in, in the military, um, I had a, a fairly technical job. I was an electronics technician, basically. I worked on uh, computer systems, data processing, stuff like that. Um, when I got out of the military, I uh, self-taught myself software development uh, and uh, eventually got a, a full-time job as a software engineer at, at a startup here in San Diego. So I had the, you know, kind of the education uh, I, I was always a very technical person and, and that's kind of always interested me. So I had the software development background. That's what I did full time at my job. Um, and I was also doing this real estate thing on the side. Um, and right around 2015, 2016, I remember um, I was very aggressively looking at a lot of properties and a lot of different markets. And and as you guys all know, analyzing uh, you know investment properties is basically one of the key things during the purchase process you know if you're buying rental properties you have to look at the cash flow projections your returns your cash on cash cap rate, ROI all of that you have to you know analyze different acquisition strategies to see how they will affect your returns um, and then and if you're flipping uh, same thing you know you have to look at what your profit is going to be what your ROI is going to be before you buy the deal so you know you've heard the saying, you make the money in real estate when you buy, um, and you have to run your uh, cash flow and, and profit analysis. So traditionally, a lot of investors use Excel spreadsheets for that, and that's how I started. I, I had some Excel spreadsheet that I think I downloaded off some website, modified a little bit, and that's what I was using. What I was running into is it was you know it's just a spreadsheet. You can't do it on your phone. Uh, I had like a million of them because every time I want to analyze a new property, I was copying, you know, one spreadsheet. it just became a mess to manage. Um, and I just thought, look, there's, there's gotta be a better solution for specifically analyzing, uh, you know, rental properties, flips, other deals quickly. Um, and I looked around what was available on the app store, mobile online, um, and actually didn't find anything that I liked. So, um, you know, I, I had this just kind of, I guess, urge and and, and create creative moments, so to speak, uh, to to say, hey, why don't I build a a product? Why don't I build a kind of a simple uh, mobile app to start to help me analyze deals? Um, and that was my first, you know, sort of foray into, I guess, entrepreneurship. I didn't plan it. It wasn't, you know, I probably did it all the wrong ways. You know, if you, if you read the business books, they say, you know, develop a a business plan, do the market research, uh, you know, build a minimum viable product, test it with the target audience, all, all that. I didn't do any of that. Just, just to be completely honest with you, um, I built, um, you know, DealCheck. So DealCheck is is kind of the the property analysis platform that uh, that I'm transitioning to running full time. I I built that in my spare time, just as a hobby project. Um and really didn't even think about other people using it. I just wanted to use it myself uh but what happened is you know, I built the first version I had to release it to the app store so I could download it on my phone, and I showed it to just a few investors, a few agents that I knew, uh just some friends and family and and they loved it, even though it was it was kind of crappy at the beginning. I'm not gonna lie it's it's it uh, wasn't polished had had bugs, all that thing, but they liked it. Uh, and you know, I was like, well, Hey, maybe this is my kind of validation, so to speak that I didn't really do. But you know, if, if 10 people that I know like it, maybe a hundred, a 1, thousand more will like it. So, uh, that's kind of deal check. That's how it started. It, it started as a, as a side project, as a hobby project that I didn't intend to really, uh, you know, get the scale and popularity that it has today.
0: What, what, what didn't you like about some of the other analyzers that you saw on the market before you even decided to, 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 to begin on this journey? Like, what, what were some of the things that you were looking for that you include now in your software that you're just like, like, I couldn't find this, this is what I wanted to do. And I wasn't able to like, what were some of those things that were frustrating you?
1: Um, well, frankly, back then, and, you know, in 2015, when I was looking at it, the kind of the quality of a lot of the apps was very subpar. There was a couple apps out there on mobile that you could use to analyze properties. But you know, when you download them, they just have that old feel to them. Uh, You know, kind of clunky UI, uh, hard to figure out what button to click, like not very optimized. So that was obviously the the, kind of the the first thing I noticed that being a software developer myself, I was like, look, there's got to be a little more polished product, so people actually can use it quickly um like using it so so i really made a focus with deal check from the beginning to have a, a great user-friendly ui um another thing that i didn't like that deal check now includes is is cloud sync um kind of back then 2015 i guess maybe a little earlier was when cloud sync was really coming out you know this is like i can use an app on my phone uh Maybe like a note taking app. I take some notes on my phone, then I get on my computer. All my notes are there. I can continue, right? So it's kind of like seamless workflow across devices. Um, I don't think any product had that, uh, uh, you know, for property analysis at the point. Um, and, uh, you know, Deal Check, I build that in from the get go. So you can use Deal Check on your iOS device. You can use it on your Android phone. You can use it online and kind of start analyzing a property if you're driving around. Uh, which I I actually did myself and and it worked great. You know, maybe you're attending an open house uh, or you're just driving for dollars or you're just scouting the neighborhood. You can run, you can start your cash flow analysis on the property right there on your phone, then come back to your office, to to your home computer, uh, pull up that same property on your computer and then, you know, make adjustments, um, run alternative scenarios, kind of do a more deep dive into the property to see if you can make that deal work. Um, so that's definitely the second, uh, you know, thing that I, that I wanted, you know, a modern property analysis application to have. And probably the third one was just, I wanted a, you know, I wanted to develop a solution that was kind of all encompassing. Uh, you know, basically what tools does an investor need uh, when they're analyzing properties, when they're looking at these perspective Investments, uh, I wanted to build all the tools that you need for that in one application. So, you know, with DealCheck, obviously the the property analysis, the projections, that comes standard. That's like the basics. But nowadays, DealCheck supports things like property data import. You know, instead of typing in all of the property information manually, just punch in the address and we'll pull in from property records and active listings, you know, the home description, photos, you know, all that information. Information for you so you don't have to scour, you know, 10 different websites to find it. Um, additionally, we uh, just actually recently released both sales and rental comps uh, right inside deal check, you know, so obviously one of the things uh, that is obviously very hard with, with properties is A, estimating their value. So, you know, what is the ARV of my property? And B, if it's a rental property, what is the potential rent? If you get those numbers wrong, and all of your analysis basically can get invalidated, you know, If or it's like, imagine if you're doing a flip and, and you estimated ARV to be, you know, 20% higher than it is, it, you might lose all your profit outright. So uh, we build both sales and rental comps right inside deal checks. So you can, you know, go to your property, pull up recent sales comps uh, that will show you, you know, every property that got sold that's comparable. Uh, what is the average sale price? What is kind of the... Uh, you know, the potential ARV of the property, you're analyzing based on its square footage and exact same thing for rental properties. What are the current rental listings? Uh, You know, what is their average listed rent for the neighborhood? You know, what rent can you charge for your property? Uh, So sales rental comps, uh, you know, we've built in an offer calculator into deal check. So, you know, maybe you analyze a property, it, it looks okay but maybe doesn't meet some of your criteria so there's a process it's commonly called reverse valuation where you can actually work backwards from your criteria and say hey i want a minimum cash on cash of 12% and i want at least you know 250 cash flow per unit per month what is the maximum price i can pay right that's how that's the basics of how offers are made so deal check comes with a calculator that you can punch in over a dozen different criteria saying this is my minimum criteria now show me the price for this property that I can offer. And, you know, if it's if it's reasonable, if it's not too much below the asking price, then, then that could be your start for the negotiations with the seller. Um, and then things like, you know, PDF reports. So obviously you analyze a property. Uh, maybe you want to send this. Maybe you have clients that you're working with, like if you're an agent or if you have partners that you're buying these properties with or your lender wants to see all of the information about a property, you can with one click. deal check allows you to export property reports uh, with a, you know, very nicely formatted PDF that you can download and send in seconds. You know, so uh, that's kind of the third thing. We just wanted to develop a, a host of features, not just the basic property analysis that that helps investors uh, kind of to to have a one stop shop, one solution, one integrated tool. Uh, for doing their entire kind of due diligence research um, process all the way up to helping them put in an offer.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. And I was just scrolling through the site myself. It's a beautifully laid out design. Um, I'm I'm about to download the app on my phone as well. I'm going to check it out. I just told Anton before the call I was going to check it out and I want to um, use it for the next, at least give it a, a 30 day try. I think you offer a free 30 day trial. Um, and then we have a link for that as well over at beforethemillions.com forward slash Anton. Um, and I want to, I want to give it a test job. I think that this can be a powerful, powerful machine, not only for me, but also for my clients as well. So, um, we're going to use, and I definitely suggest you guys uh, take out uh, Anton up on his offer, uh, for a 30 day trial over at before the millions.com forward slash
1: a N T O N. Yeah. And actually, as far as the pricing, I wanted to uh, mention deal check comes with actually a free tier. Uh, so a lot of these you know, a lot of applications, a lot of software in real estate, you got to pay up front. You know, if you don't pay, you don't get anything. Um, and I, you know, I realized being an investor myself and kind of starting from the beginning that it's, it's tough. You know, you got to pay obviously for the property and then all these software are charging you fees. So it may be hard to swallow as a new investor with all these costs. So with DealCheck, we actually have a free tier you know, it does have, it does come with some restrictions and some of the more advanced analysis tools are, are not available with it, but it is a fully functional product that you can use for free on your phone online, you know, forever, no credit card, nothing required. So, uh, if you're just starting out, you're just analyzing a few properties, you know, a week, uh, don't need a lot of the more complex functionality, then just give it a try for free, you know, and, and if you like it, you can always upgrade Uh, to one of our uh, paid plans, which we have several pricing options with monthly and yearly payments. Um, And we do have a promo code. It's BTM25. uh, So specifically for you guys. So if you enter BTM25 at checkout online, you'll get 25% forever um, off of your subscription if you do want to upgrade to one of those premium plans.
0: Lifestyle Design
1: Acceleration Hacks.
0: What is your favorite Before the Millions
1: book? I'd probably say it's Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Um, it's, it's, pro- it's not real estate focused. It's, it's not about buying property. Uh, but it was one of the first books I read that kind of really opened my eye to the fact that if I want to achieve something, I can do it. Um, and all I just have to do is put in the work, uh, You know, set a goal, put in the work, work towards it, and really anything is possible. It's, you know, our life is is truly what we make it. Uh, I, I don't really believe that anybody, no matter where they come from or where they grew up or, or where they live, are kind of need to be restricted by their environment. I think we can overcome our challenges, uh, you know, and we can set ambitious goals and we can reach them if we believe in ourselves and if we work hard. Uh, and that book kind of really puts that whole... Philosophy into perspective.
0: What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool.
1: I would probably say it's it's Evernote. Um, it's a note-taking app uh, that I kind of take anywhere from me. Uh, and if I have ideas, you know, questions, uh, I need to organize something. I have my immediate goals, my tasks. Uh, it goes right into that app. I I think it's probably the most uh, used app on on my phone. Is, is Evernote.
0: I love it. I love it. I, I'm a big fan of Evernote. So a great recommendation. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed?
1: Um, I'd say that this is still kind of I'm 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 in the process of transitioning to that, but it's really the fact that I'm able to quit my full time job and allow my wife to do the same. Um, it, you know, at us being just over 30. Um, I think, you know, some people do it earlier, but but to us, it's a remarkable achievement and kind of all the work that we put in with our real estate, with uh, deal check and, and with being frugal and living under our means, uh, I think is about to pay off. I mean, it's, it's an awesome feeling when you know that you're not financially dependent on, you know, an employer paying you a paycheck and you having to go to work every day and, and worrying about, you know, getting sick or, or getting fired.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. And congrats again. I'm super excited for you to embark on this new journey. I think it's going to be amazing. And you're going to blow your business out of the water once you're, you're fully on the other side. So I can't wait. Um, what were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today?
1: I'd say the biggest one was the financial sacrifice. Um, and like I mentioned you know, probably for the last decade or so, both me and my wife, we lived very frugally um, and we focused on, you know, saving as much money, not letting our lifestyle creep if we got a new job or got a new raise. So obviously, you know, that that, made, that meant we, we couldn't engage in a lot of expensive hobbies or we didn't drive, you know, the, the latest car or, or that sort of thing. But, but to be honest, I think it's, it's well worth it. Uh, I mean, just because I didn't get a steak dinner every week, you know for the last decade i would do it again if that meant that i could quit my job you know retire early and be financially free uh you know at, at 30 35 years old
0: who was essential to your growth before the millions and why
1: it's it's a difficult question i probably say that um you know if i had to name any any one person it would be my mom um and it's uh you know, she was she wasn't into real estate. She she was not into entrepreneurship, but she was an extremely hardworking woman. Uh, you know, she uh she sacrificed a lot for, for her kids, you know, for me and my sister, uh, for our family. Um and you know, if I remember anything about her is that she worked extremely hard every single day, uh, you know, without kind of asking for, for help sometimes, without uh, you know, expecting somebody else to pick up the slack. She was just an extremely hard worker. Um, and, you know, I've and I think I, you know, I hope that, that I'm at least as working as she is. Um, and I really picked up those qualities from her and, and just learned that, you know, hey, you know, if, if anything, determination and hard work will, will get you really far in life.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, sentiments. Why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions,
1: I'd say it's probably fear um, f- you know fear of the unknown uh fear of losing your stability um you know I've kind of met a lot of folks who are who are comfortable in life, uh, but they want to be somewhere else somewhere more they they want to do more and it's really the fear of kind of leaving that behind or, or stepping into something they don't know uh, that, that's holding them back. Um, and it's very hard to overcome. You know, I've had to deal with this in, in several occasions myself. So I know firsthand fear can be debilitating, it's, it's very difficult. Um, I, I kind of mentioned it earlier in the episode. One thing that really helped me and my wife, you know, to foray into real estate investing, to foray into entrepreneurship. Is having a solid financial foundation. You know, if you have something to fall back on, if you have kind of a stable base, uh, you know, you're not living paycheck to paycheck. If you're, you know, if you have a good handle on your personal finances, I really think that that creates a good platform for you to make that leap into something more risky, something you've never done before, um, and kind of give you the, the confidence in your head that hey you know, just to justify your fear, like, Hey, if I, if I do fail, you know, I at least have something to fall back on. I
0: love that. I love that. I love that. Well, Anton, this has been an amazing episode. I've learned so much from you. I know, so that I know the listeners have as well. If any of the listeners want to learn a little bit more about you connect with you, just say, hi, where can I do some of that? at?
1: Uh, sure. I actually give my email to all the, you know, podcast listeners as Anton at Dealcheck.io. Uh, So A-N-T-O-N at dealcheck.io. So if you want to reach out to me directly, you have questions, you like the episode, uh, you know, you want to check out DealCheck, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, You know, I I read all of your emails and and respond the best I can. Uh, So would love to hear from you.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Again, Anton, this has been a pleasure and we will talk to you soon.
1: Outstanding. Thank you for inviting me. I, I had a great time.